God and gurus bless you. I was thinking of a little song that Swamiji wrote. We often think of his children's songs as songs that only apply to souls that have small bodies. But since we are all children of God and gurus, I thought to sing you a little bit of it and then extrapolate on that. The song is very simple. In fact, if you know it, you can join me. It's time to go to school. It's time to go to school. It's time to go right now. It's time to go to school. It's time to go to school. It's time to go right now. There's so much to learn each day. There's so much to learn each day. Why the world was made and how. There's so much to learn each day. There's so much to learn each day. Why the world was made and how. And I'll close it off there. I thought of this song because this life is a school and we are all students in it. We all have a great deal to learn, but it occurred to me that that second little verse, why the world was made and how, this is something that Swamiji has been speaking about recently, Sanatan Dharma, the eternal religion. Stuartish touched on this yesterday how everything has come out from God and everything must return to God. Now we hear these things, and I don't know if this applies to you, but it certainly applies to me. It seems a little bit vague. It seems a little bit like an abstraction out there. But in fact, the everything returning to God is an extremely pertinent situation where it concerns us. I'm reminded of something Sardoc is, or, or something that was said about Sardoc in the play. As it concerns you, it's, these things concern us very directly because our state of awareness is the only thing that we actually have control over. Living in India, Many times in classes and programs, someone will ask in one creative way or another, will ask whether or not we have free will. The implication being that, gosh, if we don't have free will, then what's the point in making the effort? You know, is it all foreordained? Is it going to take me a long time? Is it going to take a short amount of time for me to find God, et cetera, et cetera? And people get very discouraged, very depressed at the idea that they don't have infinite free will. And Swamiji addressed this the other day, and I think Jyotish repeated it as well. But I'd like to emphasize it. The free will that we have, Jyotish said this, the free will that we have is to choose to awaken from the dream. And if we make that choice, then it completely changes 
the rest of the reality of our lives. First, we have to make that choice. But there's more to it than that. We make that choice, but we choose the state of our consciousness. Now, this may seem a little bit inconvenient when we think, well, gosh, but I'd like to be able to control all the other aspects of my life. I'd like things to go beautifully in my job, in my family, in my home. I'd like to have a nice home. I'd like to have a nice car. I'd like to have a beautiful wife or husband and children and all of these things. But there is a limit to how much outward control we have over the circumstances of our lives. But as Devarshi was just pointing out, the inward aspect of our lives we have complete control over. And yet we have to learn how to exercise that control. There's a, a beautiful little passage when I would teach beginning meditation many years ago, I think in Seattle was the first place that I did this, I would often read this as part of the, um, you could say the sales pitch to encourage people to come back for level two. Um, but this is a little poem that Master quotes from, uh, that was chiseled onto the side of a temple in South India and the little poem goes, or the little snippet goes, You can control a mad elephant. You can shut the mouth of the bear and the tiger. You can ride a lion. You can play with the cobra. By alchemy, you can eke out your livelihood. You can wander through the universe incognito. You can make vassals of the gods. You can be ever youthful. You can walk on water and live in fire, but control of the mind is better and more difficult. <laughs> this is a good challenge for all of us. Control of the mind is better and more difficult. All of those things in the long list there that leads up to but control of the mind is better and more difficult. They all involve playing in maya to one extent or another, which is why control of the mind is better and more difficult. Because if you want to, as a goal in life, walk on water or live in fire or tame the lion, cobra, bear, etc., etc., all of the eek, it's very interesting that he chooses the word eek out your living by alchemy, kind of an interesting thing. When we look at this world, we're dealing with maya, we're dealing with this duality and everything is balanced. Every time you have an up somewhere along the way, there has to be a down. And as long as we play in that world, we are subject to those laws. And it's only inside here that there is unity, that there is simplicity. I was th thinking the other day, we're all familiar with the phrase, God is one. But it conjures up religious implications that are sort of controversial, perhaps, 
because religion is often, and we see this in India certainly, religion is often as a divisive force. Spirituality, on the other hand, is very transformative. But if you instead say the words, joy is one. This is something Devarshi was pointing out in the path of Kriya, the technique of Kriya, that it gives us joy. Joy is one. Why? Because there is no opposite to joy. Joy is not opposed by sorrow. Happiness, on the other hand, is opposed by sorrow. Joy is one. And joy is alive. And joy will touch you and teach you in your practice of Kriya. We have God and the Masters now. It has often been said, and this is something that Asha touched on in her talk, it has often been said that the uh, spiritual path is a razor's edge. It's a, it's a sort of an uncomfortable image. It makes one think of cutting one's feet if one walks on it. But in fact, it's a very helpful image when looked at from the standpoint that to the one side of that razor's edge is the past. To the other side of that razor's edge is the future. And if we would walk the path, we have to walk now. We have to live now. And that line is very fine. And it's very easy to step off on one side or the other. But if we live in that now, if we live in that moment, then we have control over the one thing that we do, in fact, have control over in this universe, and that is our reality. We may not have much effect on the events around us or the outward circumstances of our lives, but we can affect how we respond to those things. Now, for many people, that may seem a little bit lame. That may seem a little bit inconvenient or not uh, positive thinking, according to the New Age way of looking at things. I want to be able to affirm my way to wealth and happiness. Well, we can. There's a lot of things that we can do in this world, and Master taught us to strengthen our will. But more important than playing in Maya is to be free. And we have that. We have those tools. Dave or she was pointing out, we have energization technique, we have Hongsa technique, Om technique, discipleship, and Kriya. Yesterday evening in the Kriya ceremony, the first Kriya, Ananta emphasized a point that I will also emphasize very strongly, especially for Westerners. We have technique, and we're accustomed to good technology in the West, good technique in the West. But he emphasized devotion. Practice with devotion. So I have two words for those of you who do not have Kriya. Get it. <laughs> and I have a few more words for those who already have it. This goes back to the Court Jester movie for those of you who've seen it. Get it? Got it. Good. <laughs> Go deeper, because there is no limit. Everyone who embarks on the path stands at the beginning of it. No matter how far he has come, even a master 
looks out to infinity. There is infinity ahead of us, no matter where we stand. And it is up to us to walk that path with sincerity, with joy, with devotion. Because devotion opens up the key to the technique. The key to the technique of Kriya is a word that's very like Kriya. The word is Kripa, grace. Swamiji named his home in Gurgaon, Guru Kripa, grace of the Guru. And if we would successfully practice Kriya, we have to invite and make ourselves receptive to the grace of God and the grace of Guru. Kriya is like an advanced degree or an advanced training in discipleship. And I'll, I'll give you a, a kind of poignant example of the opposite of this, something that I think most of us would not imagine, but yet it does happen to us. We come to the presence of God and we are in that joy. We are feeling that beauty, that power, that bliss. And what happens? Our cell phone rings. And we take the call. <laughs> Who is calling? Is it God? Is it, you know, I mean, what power on earth? I, I, many times in India, I've had the blessing and the opportunity to sit with Swamiji when someone comes to visit him. And it's often from enormous dif distances and with great difficulty, you know, difficulty of getting visas and traveling long, long distances. And that very thing has happened. They finally get their precious 10 or 20 minutes with Swamiji in an interview and the phone rings and they pick it up. It's, it's just sort of stunning to me and kind of pathetic. But in one way or another, we have all done that. We have left our meditation when we were in the presence of great joy and great love and great fulfillment in God's presence because we forgot to put that item on the grocery list and we have to go and remember to send the email or do whatever it is. Remember, God is now. The first time that I met Swamiji, I remember, really met him and, and actually spoke with him. I remember, first of all, being sort of shocked and, and stunned when he turned his gaze on me. And all it was was the fact that he brought stillness. Like the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. He brought tremendous concentration but not in an overbearing sort of way. He just turned his gaze to me. And how often in life our gaze is going all over the place all at once. It reminds me of in my earlier days, earlier incarnations in the construction world, we used to get these 50-pound boxes of nails. And a few times it happened where you would go to lift said box of nails and it had gotten wet on the bottom. You can 
see where this is headed. <laughs> you lift it up and the nails go everywhere. And so now you've got 50 pounds of nails all over the place in, a, in dirt and dust and crud from the job site. It is at times like that that I wanted something that I never had at that stage of, of life and technology. I wanted a really, really strong magnet. <laughs> could just lift it all up and stick it back in the box. That magnet is Kriya. Our spines look like the nails dumped all over the floor when there's vrittis heading every which way. And we have to pull it all back together. Now you can do it one nail at a time, and believe me, I did. Because you didn't want to sweep it all because then you'd get all the junk from the floor in with the nails. Or you can bring a strong magnetism, and that's what Kriya does. And Kriya brings that stillness. And I'll just emphasize one final thing that Ananta mentioned yesterday in the Kriya, but it's, it bears mentioning to all of us, whether we are Kriya bonds or not, whatever technique you follow, whatever technique you practice, don't spend your whole time practicing it in your, in your meditation period. Spend time at the end enjoying the blessing of that technique, going deeper in the stillness, communing. Meditation is not a technique. We often use those things together, meditation technique, those two words together, and that's okay. But the actual state of meditation is not a technique, it's an experience. And often that experience comes to us after we practice a technique. So remember to take the time to enjoy, to commune, no one can teach you how. We can teach technique, and we're all, we're all getting better and better with the technique. But no one can give you the devotion to practice the technique as Master would practice it, as Sri Yukteswarji would practice it, as Lahiri Mahashaya or Babaji or Krishna or Christ. They all give themselves to God. No one will ever give himself to God like you will. Give yourself into that practice and worship him in that time of stillness. And everything else in your life will flow naturally and beautifully. Whether the circumstances look positive or not, your consciousness will be blessed by the experience of that depth in meditation. All of us have an inward journey to, to make and all of us have an outward role to play in this world. Generally speaking, we are not called off to caves and forest ashrams in this lifetime, as someone mentioned earlier in the week. Generally speaking, we do have a role in this world, and that role is to show in practical terms how do these spiritual teachings, how do these spiritual blessings apply in daily life? How can we live lives in the world that reflect spiritual depth and realization. All of us in one way or another, in whatever role God has called us into, all of us have some aspect of that job to do. Let us do it with the love and the devotion of God and the Great Ones. And we will know them. And as Devarshi was saying, we will have their presence with us in this lifetime. This heaven on earth will be with us so that when it comes time to go to the other side, 
there's no other side to go to because we're already there.